0: Hey everybody, this is Shannon with VIP Kid World, and welcome back. For this podcast, we're going to be continuing on with a book titled Little Soldiers by Lenora Chu, and we're going to be moving into Chapter 3, which is titled Obey the Teacher. Once again, my disclaimer is always, please excuse me for the incorrectly pronounced Chinese words as I do not speak Chinese and (laughs) just doing my best. I hope you've been enjoying the book so far, and uh, let's continue. Sit down or your mommies won't come pick you up after school today, teacher Wong. The Chinese traditionally have little respect for animals as they historically served one of two purposes. They are for eating or for pulling equipment. One Saturday that fall, Rob, Rainey, and I spent an afternoon at the Shanghai Zoo, where I saw that crowds were were rowdy and disrespectful toward the animals, while zookeepers looked the other way. We visited a ferret housed in a glass box that appeared to be designed for a snake. As Rob recounted the time in rural Sichuan that zookeepers let random visitors throw live chickens to tigers at lunchtime, I watched a man hurl a glass bottle at an orangutan while his friends cackled with laughter. Inside Shanghai Zoo's primate building, Rob, Rainey, and I gazed upon its resident gorilla, trapped inside a concrete cell the size of my living room, with a low ceiling, no foliage, and a wall of windows behind which human visitors stood to gape. As we prepared for dinner that night, Rainy began leaping around our living room on long arms. Rainy Gorilla! Rainy Gorilla! he announced. Gorilla sad. Why, Rainy? I asked him. Why Gorilla sad? Gorilla all alone. Mommy, Daddy away in jungle, he said. Gorilla at school! My heart jumped. Gorilla at school? I asked, thinking of the gorilla's bare solitary cell does Gorilla have friends? Rainy didn't answer. The following week, the complaining began in earnest. I hate school. I hate school. Rainy would whine, a low, constant, dull moan that got right into that register where it seemed to bounce off of the eardrum and echo for a few seconds before it finally dissipated. Which was exactly the moment Rainy would start all over again. I hate hate school. I-, I never believed that an education should be 100% fun, but I didn't remember hating school to the point that I whined over my breakfast oats. Why, Rainy? I asked him. Why don't you like school? Every day school, Rainey said. Next day school. After that school. Always school, school, school. I thought of the times I'd lower my head into my pillow at night, relieved to shutter my eyes on a vexing day. It was natural to experience an adjustment period to anything, especially to living in a foreign country and attending school with Chinese classmates. Was Rainey simply going through his own adjustment process? I began listening to his whining, hoping for clues. One day, he got specific. I was sitting very well, but the teacher still got mad at me, Rainey said. I don't know why. Another time, he blurted, "'The teachers are always loud. I don't want to go to school. They yell. It makes my heart hurt.' "'They yell? Loud?' I thought. "'How loud? And what did that mean exactly?' "'How did they yell?' I'd ask Rainey. "'I don't want to talk about it,' he'd always answer. "'The Chinese generally have the loudest voices of anyone I've ever met. "'My own father's voice could, it seemed, project from one side of the Grand Canyon to the other.' Was it possible that Rainey's three year old ears were simply sensitive? I'd come to terms with the force fed eggs, and some days he seemed to like school, especially the times he came home with a shiny star sticker on his forehead, which he paraded around proudly. Even so, these new clues were disturbing. What was going on inside Teacher Chen's classroom? Was there reason for concern? My only real glimpse into Rainey's day came via a three-ring yellow binder Teacher Chen sent home each week officially entitled the Child Development Book. It showed snapshots of the children in various parts of the classroom, posing as chefs near the play kitchen, lined up in rows with mouths open for singing class, or standing single file with playground equipment in the background. One photo showed Rainey, his face unmistakably sullen, propped in the lap of an older boy whose arms encircled Rainey's waist. The caption alluded to a mentor program. Sisters and brothers of the big class take care of small class. The small class no longer miss their mothers and fathers during the daytime. They are becoming independent and brave. I'd never seen Rainey looking more miserable. The binder also contained instructions, sheets for for parents. One advised how parents could work to improve a child's bad habit of poor concentration. Another advised that children be taught to greet fathers after work with a cup of water and slippers. A tip sheet apprised women of their maternal duties. The mother's major task in autumn is to protect kids from dryness heat. Make brown rice or pear porridge to prevent dry throats, dry lips, nosebleeds, and dry skin. Apparently, the ideal Chinese father was toiling away at work, mothers were installed in the kitchen, and children existed to serve the paternal head of the household. Other than what I read in the child development book, I knew very little about the teacher's classroom style or educational philosophies. There were hundreds of WeChat messages, but little meaningful communication from them. I gathered that some other Sun Ching Ling parents were as frustrated as I was, particularly the few foreign parents whose children were sprinkled throughout the five classes of small-class grade. We foreign parents from America, Australia, France, and Japan began quizzing our children and sharing the results. One woman told me her son had simply stated, ''We sit there.'' ''Sit? Do you also read books? Sing songs?'' she'd asked. ''No, we just sit there.'' ''And do what?'' We sit there and do nothing, the little boy had said. Another mom told me her son said they go outside and balance sandbags on their heads, and that he seems happy with this activity. i began begun throwing questions at Rainy during dinner time. What do the teachers say to you? What does the school i e say to you? What do you do during school? Rainy would not respond. But as the day, days passed, my son began to use my desperation as leverage. I'll tell you about school if you don't make me go to bed tonight. Buy me some gummy bears and I'll tell you about school. And finally, I'll tell you about school if you let me stay home from school. I began creating excuses to visit Sun Qingling during the school day. Showing up just before lunchtime to drop off an extra shirt for Rainy, Making sure children were toasty warm was of supreme importance to Chinese parents. Or paying school fees in person rather than by bank transfer. Public elementary and middle schools are typically free under the government's compulsory education plan for grades one through nine, but kindergartens, which take children as young as three, aren't yet compulsory and charge tuition. Each time I oh-so-casually sauntered past the door of cl- small class number four, I looked around to ensure no adult was nearby and tiptoed over to place an ear on the door. I could never hear anything. I felt like a crazy person. Sun Qingling Ling was impenetrable. One day, I tracked down Principal Zhang after school, hoping to get permission to stand in the back of a classroom—any classroom—for a few hours. At pickup time, Zhang was standing at the edge of the green lawn, watching families stream out of the school gates. And I stepped up carefully, making sure I didn't block her field of vision. Hello, Zhang, Huang Zhang. I'm Rainey's mother. Thanks for allowing us into the school, I told her. We're very excited to be here. "How ha she said. Good, good. I-, I told her I thought the playground equipment was impressive and also made some comments about weather. Then I took a deep breath and plunged in. I'm wondering, would I be able to observe a class someday? We don't allow people to watch classes, she said, glancing at my face and then back at the families leaving school grounds. I launched the flattery technique. Well, I hope to learn about China's educational style, I said, in the West, we think the Chinese education system is so impressive. We don't allow observations by non-teachers, she said, looking over my shoulder and then carving a hasty exit. Excuse me. I became determined to see the inside of a Chinese classroom. I decided to try the next best thing in my reporting mission, another Shanghai kindergarten. Exactly what kind of environment was I throwing my son into? Rainy mentioned sitting. Why was this so important? Is Chinese education about conformity and concentration? Were the teachers' methods as harsh as I feared? I asked some Chinese acquaintances to pull on their guangxi, and I finally received an invitation to sit in on a classroom at Renhe, or Harmony Kindergarten. It wouldn't come until about six months from now, at the start of the first week of school, the following academic year. But I knew it would be an important opportunity. Shanghai had more than 1,400 public schools kindergartens, all governed by Central Ministry of Education guidelines, with oversight by the local education bureau, and I was certain I'd learn something about Rainey's environment through a peek inside this classroom. My domain for observation would be a class of the youngest children, most of whom were three, like Rainey. Because it was their first time away from home, here was a unique chance to observe teachers managing behavior in the most challenging of circumstances. Access came as a favor for a friend who'd asked. My friend made clear what the unspoken terms were. A gift for the teacher would be expected. Oh, what would be an appropriate value? Say, 1,000 quai? That was $160, and about a quarter of a teacher's monthly salary. In China, when you needed something to happen, tactical prowess was never as effective as a main course of Guangxi with a side of gift. Would a coach purse work? I countered. I have a few handy. Yes, coach is good. I arrived at Harmony Kindergarten at 8.32 a.m. and knocked on the door of small class number one. The sounds of wailing wafted through the locked door. Teacher Lee answered, A slender 30-something with a pixie cut and eyebrows drawn in thick black pencil. Today is going to be a bi-luan. Chaotic. Lee said as she ushered me inside, locking the door behind us with a click. It was the first day of school at Harmony Kindergarten, and I found 28 tiny, wandering children in various stages of distress. Most were crying, and some were uttering variations of the refrain, Mama, Mama, I want to go home. They'd spent their first three years of life in the coddled comfort of home, with parents and grandparents lording nearby. That had ended abruptly, with their enrollment in kindergarten and the commencement of a long, narrow road that is the formal Chinese education. Fittingly, the road started with an order. Master Teacher Wang was in charge of today's lesson. A fearful woman with long black hair that seemed to pull down with it all of her facial features as the strands fell toward the floor. Wang had sharp, focused eyes, a turned down mouth, a chin that seemed to point and jut, and a staccato voice that made you jump, since she liked to use sound as a weapon of surprise. Sit, sit, sit down, sit down, sit down, or your mommies won't come to pick you up after school today, thundered Master Wong. The children were meandering around, weaving between tables and chairs, as if some giant had taken a handful of roly-poly weeble figures and tossed them into a shoebox. Some had come to rest, while others were wobbling around the room in search of something familiar. All looked confused. Mama! Mama! I want to go home! Teachers Wang and Li were the masters of this class, and their goal this first morning was 28 little behinds planted in 28 tiny chairs. The wooden chairs were arranged in U-shaped formation to face the front of the classroom, which measured the size of two-car garages. The room was packed with the trappings of a Chinese education. Bunk beds stacked high against three walls, a dark chalkboard, two porcelain chamber pots already filled a few inches deep with yellow pea. Rainey's school was a touch more modern, although some bathrooms were there contained squat toilets. "'Sit down!' Wong and Lee marched around the room, eyeing the whimpering children. With nearly every step they would encounter a small child, And with a swift motion, they'd grasp an upper arm and maneuver a tiny body into the nearest chair. Both teachers moved deliberately. But Wong, in particular, had a way of sucking all the air from the room as she traveled, like a robotic vacuum cleaner that lacked an off switch. "'Sit down,' Master Wong said. "'Sit down, or your mothers won't come to get you today. "'Sit down, or your grandmother won't come to get you today. "'Sit down, or I won't let you go home after nap time.'" The children cried harder. Mama, Mama, I want to go home. The din was phenomenal. The teachers were screeching over the noise. Wang was tall and thin, all angles of her face. She had a sharp voice that could turn from sugary sweet, hello Miss Chu, to machete sharp, stand still, in quick succession. Her movements were also abrupt pointing toward a vacant seat, rapping on a table three times, squatting suddenly to lift a child by the armpits and put her in the place. I thought about Rainey's first day and wondered how Teacher Chen had conducted herself with my child. Once most bodies were in position, the refinement of sitting began. Little hands on your legs, back straight, little feet side by side on the floor. Wang backed up verbal orders with physical action a potent combination. She would kick a misplaced foot into place, grab flailing hands and crush them flat against thighs, nudge back straight with a knock against each shoulder blade. After watching for about five minutes, I spotted an empty chair and sat down, feet side by side. I could always already pick out the troublemakers. One boy simply couldn't still his body upon command. He was big for his age, with a head nearly the size of a pumpkin and a broad body to match. He wandered about the classroom aimlessly. In America, physical size might draw predictions of athletic achievement. He's a future linebacker. But in China, it only made you easier to spot when misbehaving. Wang Wuzi, sit down. What is wrong with you? Come sit down in this chair right now. Little Pumpkin sat for a few moments, only to pop back up. Master Wong put him back in place and with the push of a shoulder. Pop up, push down, pop up, push down. This whack-a-mole game would continue all day long. Children who didn't sit were admonished. A little girl who wandered over to the water cooler was told, it's not time for a drink to drink water yet, sit down. Another girl was enticed by a play kitchen, and two pieces of plastic fruit in the corner. Teacher Lee spotted her and in two flashes bounded over, lifted her by the armpits to standing and placed her back in her seat. Not a word was said. By 10 a.m. I needed to go to the restroom, but I was afraid to cause a disturbance by standing. The teachers hadn't told the children they could not get water without asking, play with toys in the corner, or speak without being spoken to. Yet when children overstepped boundaries, they didn't know existed. They were corralled back into place. It was learning by trial and error, and I imagined that the one thing that would quickly become clear to a child was that sitting quietly with feet and hands in place was the safest thing to do. So when Pan Li Bao approached me, I was fearful. She was a chubby girl with two spindly black pigtails, and she had something to say. My mom still hasn't come. Little Pigtails said to me, eyes imploring. I glanced at Wong. She hadn't seen us yet. You cannot come back here, I said to Little Pigtails as quietly and forcefully as I could. My mom still hasn't come. My mom went to work, she said, grasping my forearm. Your mom will come in the afternoon, I whispered fervently from my chair. Now sit down. Master Wong spotted us at the mo- in a moment and in a bound, she scooped up Little Pigtails, deposited her back in the U-shaped formation. She'd stepped over my legs to squeeze past, and I thought I detected a glance of disapproval. In another minute, Little Pigtails was back. This time, she put a furry brown stuffed animal in my lap, a moose wearing a t-shirt with a green M&M character on it. Pigtails pointed at the M&M on the t-shirt, focusing on it, its oversized white eyes with googly black pupils. Well, hi, Pa. I'm scared, she said. I glanced around the classroom. There were characters with buggy eyes everywhere. Little Pigtails would have a hard time this year. There's nothing to be scared of, I told her. This is a cartoon character. He is friendly. But she wasn't listening. I'm scared, I'm scared, she said. "'Be quiet. Sit down,' I said, handling the, handing the moose back to her. "'I'm scared, too.' <laughs> I thought, I'm scared Master Wong is going to boot me from the classroom for creating a fracas. Little Pigtails chose that moment to climb into my lap. "'Take it away! Take it away!' she said, trying to put the moose in my hands. "'Oh, what the hell?' I thought." I grabbed the offended, offending moose and placed it under my chair. I glanced over at Master Wong, who was working on Little Pumpkin. Pop up, push down. Pop up, push down. Soon, Wong's razor-sharp sense for bodies out of place would be drawn to my corner of the classroom. Go sit down, I whispered to Pigtails. She didn't move. I was desperate and grasping at whatever I could make to make her obey. To make her obey. Go sit down, or your mom won't come to get you today, I said firmly. The moment the words came out of my mouth, I felt ashamed. Mama! wailed little pigtails. I wanted to confront her. I wanted to comfort her. But she was out of place, and soon enough, Master Wong's ire would focus in on me. The urgency hit me, rising up from my belly into my throat, and I yelped at the little girl. Go sit down. I twisted out of of her grasp and gently nudged her off my lap. I pointed toward her chair. I was no better than the teachers. But order had been restored. By day two, it was clear to me that Master Wong and Teacher Lee had an implicit good cop, bad cop arrangement. Lee would instruct the class while Wong would hover over children, eyeing hands and feet to ensure proper placement. They're pretty used to it already, Lee had told me that morning with a nod of satisfaction toward the children sitting in the U-shaped formation while Master Wong marched nearby. On day three, the teachers began to explain to the children what was expected of them. It was the clearest directive yet on the rules of the classroom. The instruction came in the form of a song. I'm a good baby, little hands always in place. Little feet refined, little ears listening well, little eyes looking at the teacher, before I speak, always raising my hand. The teachers had the children singing along, urging them to keep time with their hands. They reinforced the message with candy. A visiting teacher, Teacher Tong, came in with a plastic vial of Skittles. Isn't it fragrant, said Teacher Tong, marching around the Yu, just as Wang had the day before. She shook the vial as she walked, and the candy made a jolly, tinkling sound. Take a sniff, she said, pausing before each child. She tipped the cake container carefully so each of them could get a whiff and a glimpse of the colorful pellets inside. Aren't they colorful, she asked the group. Yes, teacher. Who's sitting well? Whoever's sitting well will get a piece of candy, Tong said. Several children piped in, I am, I am, I am, teacher. Teacher Tong made a show of examining placement of hands, feet, knees, before nodding approval and doling out candy, piece by piece. The next day, the same exercise was performed with red star stickers. You can't go home unless you get a red star, Master Wong stated clearly while she walked the U, appraising each child. As she pressed star stickers onto foreheads, she made an example of every recipient. Recipient, This student didn't waste any rice today, so he gets a star. This student fell asleep quickly at nap time, so she gets a star. This student sat nicely today, so he gets a star. I now better understood the significance of Rainey's early days in school when he came home with a star in the middle of his forehead. I wondered what he'd done or not done, on the days his forehead was clean. I also realized Rainey's developing habit of bartering and negotiating. I'll tell you, if you let me watch Thomas the Train, might spring from the action reward loop Chinese teachers deployed. Clear rules began to emerge for Pumpkin and his classmates. Don't break snack time cookies, biscuits, in two. Water can be drunk only during water breaks. No talking while lining up. No talking during lunch. Open your mouth wide like a lion to make room for food. Further instruction was given in song. When the teacher is talking, you cannot talk. When the teacher is talking, you cannot get your toy and play. When the teacher is talking, you cannot wander around. Bathroom trips happened as a class twice in the morning and twice in the afternoon with the children forming a single-file line and walking slowly down the hall along double yellow lines. This was what the teachers called train formation, with hands placed on hips of the child in front of you. Children who needed to pee outside of the bathroom time could use the chamber pot in the corner of the classroom. At the end of the day, you could lift the red plastic lid to see gallons worth of uh, accumulated pee and possibly even a few floating brown logs, always a source of fascination for the children. Lunch was eaten in the hallway. There was no space for meals in the classroom at tiny tables pushed up against the wall. A meal might be a quail egg over steamed broccoli, chicken and rice, or a section of Chinese sausage laid on top of fried noodles. Children were urged to finish their meals and the consequences were clear. Do you want to get up from the table? Then eat your rice. If you don't eat your egg, your mom won't come to get you today. Is that how, Rainey, how they got rainy to eat eggs? I wondered. The teachers were not without kindness. At times, usually when the children were sitting, Master Wong would flash smiles at her tiny charges. Another time, a little girl had been bitten by another classmate, and Wong held her for a few minutes, stroking her hair. Meanwhile, the bitter had been positioned in a chair at the front of the class <laughs> excuse me meanwhile the biter had been positioned in a chair at the front of the class made to face his 27 classmates who stared past him for half an hour while a TV blared behind his head it was a classic shaming ritual and indeed the boy didn't bite or hit again that day little pigtails was still having trouble with the M M&M moose and brought it over to me several times. I'm scared. Take it away. Take it away. One time, Wong came over. What's the problem? She asked little pigtails. The child's voice fl- failed her, and she began to cry. She could only point at the moose, her sobs increasing in intensity. After some time, Wong agitated the matter. No playing with your toy during class. I'll put the moose here so it can wait for you to finish class. Now sit down. Wang placed the moose on a sh- shelf six inches from Little Pigtail's chair. Eminem's googly eyes focused right on her face. Pigtail sat there, staring back, still in tears. When Wang wasn't looking, I kicked the moose under her chair. By now, Little Pumpkin's name was imprinted in my memory, as the teacher had screamed it so many times. Wang Wuze, sit down. Wang Wuzei, put your feet side by side. Wang Wuzei, what is wrong with you? Do you want your mommy to come get you today?" Little Pumpkin was terrible at flying under the radar. First of all, he was a head taller than his classmates and full of energy. I sensed this was the most troublesome combination for a Chinese schoolboy. Large and lively. Besides that, I'd seen him four days in a row, and he was always wearing a brightly colored shirt. He lacked good camouflage. One time, he was particularly offensive to the teachers. He had wandered from his chair toward a few toys in the corner during a lesson while teacher Wang was talking, and she really lost her temper. Wang Wu say, you don't get a chair, you will stand. In three leaps, she was over by his side and swatted his chair away. It fell over, clattered against the floor a few times, and then lay still. All the children fell silent, watching, and I also froze in my chair at the back of the room. I was keenly aware that an acquaintance had secured my way into the classroom by presenting me as an observer, and although I was disturbed by what I was seeing, I didn't feel it was my place to intervene in any way. I was gradually becoming captive to this situation. Little Pumpkin looked at the toppled chair, and tears came to his eyes. Suddenly, all he wanted was that chair. "'I want to sit! I want to sit!' He grasped for Max Wong's arm, seeking comfort, but she flung them out of reach. Little Pumpkin then reached for her hips, attempting an awkward hug, but she stepped away. Boo-bao, I won't hold you,' she said at the top of his head. "'Do you want a chair?' Do you want a chair now? Yes, yes, I want a chair. Then you sit in it, Wong said. If you don't sit in it, I won't give it to you. And your moms won't come to get you after school. The Chinese always have an eye toward efficiency, and sitting accomplishes many goals at once. It imprints the relationship between teacher and student in a physical way, with the master standing tall and the subject relegated to a lower elevation. Sitting is also a convenient way to maintain order in a classroom rammed full of little bodies. In America, many early educators favor circle time, where children and teachers sit side by side in a giant loop. Circle up, they'd say many times a day. Teachers and children gaze upon each other at eye level. The Chinese I spoke with consider this arrangement extremely odd The children stand up and come in and out of the circle whenever they wish, said little pumpkin's teacher Lee, who once stood witness to this phenomenon. We don't have that luxury in China. You can't just get up and get water when you're in class. There are a lot of kids. They need to be sitting. You can't just do whatever you want. There have to be yaoshi standards. But should three-year-olds be expected to achieve sitting? Aren't the authoritarian methods required to get there a bit harsh? I dare not ask Little Pumpkin's teacher, so I sought out the expert Guo Liping. Guo Liping educates preschool teachers at one of China's top universities for early childhood education. His faculty profile states that he specializes in the cognitive development of children and he has published research reports evaluating the quality of early education in China. I ask him to coffee, my head brimming with questions about disciplinary style. The difference between the American and Chinese education styles uh, styles of education has to do with God. He says, God, I ask well, who sits across from me in a Shanghai cafe, sipping a latte. Westerners have the church and the authority of God, while the Chinese have their teachers, he explained. In the United States, many children attend church from a young age, so the average kid will learn from Sunday sermons when to speak, when to sit, when to pray, and when to break for a meal, he told me. Internalization of the rules starts from a very young age. Chinese children must have rules of behavior impressed upon them externally. And that's where the teacher comes in, Guo says, emphasizing his declaration with a lift of his latte. The Chinese have no religion, and there is no one else to teach the rules of behavior. Teachers are the ultimate authority. I wasn't sure about the link between church and schoolhouse behavior, but I found it fascinating that a Chinese researcher accepted such an idea as fact. "'Why do teachers yell in the class here?' I asked. Here, Guo began to make sense. "'Speaking loudly in tradition is, is tradition in China,' he said. "'China, in an agricultural society and in rural areas, "'speaking loudly makes people feel happy and lively.' I moved on to threat-making by teachers as a classroom technique. Yes, this is not what we want, Guo says, shaking his head. Nowadays, we try to teach that threatening children cannot be included in our education system. But in practice, there will be problems. In our traditional culture, teachers are in a higher class than students, which influences the way they treat them. In America, teachers (laughs) respect children as individuals. But in China, the individual is stressed less than society. In other words, Confucius and the ideal of social harmony still have an effect on classroom dynamics. I know from just a few days of observing the Sinan kindergarten that such harsh methods might be critical to keeping order in crowded classrooms, especially when students outnumber teachers by large ratios. Wuping confirmed that with more than 50 children in a classroom, it's simply impossible to let children step out of line. Teachers can only criticize and control. Criticize and control. Indeed, the number for Chinese classroom sizes are legendary. 40? 60? 75? In the countryside, it's not unheard of to cram more than 100 students into a single room. Professor Guo acknowledged this problem. He'd spent a year as a visiting professor at Columbia University and visited schools around the United States. His time abroad had impressed him one thing. Westerners have the luxury of roominess. If Chinese children could have as much space as the children in the West, they would feel amazing, he said. My Chinese friend Amanda offered a more sinister explanation for a teacher's harsh methods. A student at a top Shanghai high school, she was preparing to apply for colleges in America. We'd been introduced by a mutual friend. Why, I asked her, are conformity and obeisance so important? Amanda was fresh from a year-long exchange at a U.S. high school, which gave her a better understanding of both Chinese and Western education. She had been reading Nietzsche's Human, All Too Human, and a passage leapt out at her. I think this accurately describes the situation of, and principle of preschools now in China, she told me. The quote reads, The environment in which they are raised tries to make every human being unfree by always keeping the smallest number of possibilities in front of them. We describe a child as having a good character when its narrow adherence to what already exists becomes visible. The child testifies to its awakening sense of community. On the basis of this sense of community, it will later become useful to its state or its class. At Harmony Kindergarten, at the end of the week, the children were sufficiently subdued that Wang and Li attempted in an art class. It would be an exercise in drawing rain. Rain falls from the sky to the ground and comes in little dots, teacher Li said, demonstrating on a piece of paper tacked to a corkboard. She methodically populated a blank white paper with dots that fell from top to bottom. Then filled the page from left to right. The children watched. Li and Wang immediately fell into good cop, bad cop routine once again. Master Wang placed a marker and a sheet of paper in front of each child. Let's draw the rain, Li said. Begin. Markers move from top to bottom, Wang said. In Li's classroom, rain does not blow sideways, nor does it hurtle to the earth in sheets. There are no hurricanes or monsoons. There is no figurative rain, such as raining tears or raining frogs or raining cats and dogs. There is no purple rain. In this classroom, rain is comprised of only tear-shaped droplets of water that fall from sky to ground. This is drawn very well, Lee said, picking up a paper and showing it to the class. This is very much like rain, she said of another artwork. This rain falls nicely from top to bottom, she effused, remarking on another student's work. I glanced over at Pumpkin. He was planted in his chair, but his paper showed no such order. Thick purple streaks crisscrossed the page, right to left, left to right, sideways, diagonally, randomly, obliquely. In one corner, he'd simply pressed the marker down and moved it in erratic circles. His world looked like a lava lamp gone psychedelic, with blobs of purple floating around the page. I was afraid for him. Later, on their way back from the bathroom break, the teachers stopped the children from coming into the classroom. They stood single file between the double yellow lines in the hallway as I hung back near the end of the line. Who's standing nicely? Master Wong asked. Silence. If you're standing nicely, you can go inside and get some water. Wong and Lee walked up and down the line, observing placement of hands and feet, straightness in the back. For about three minutes, they walked up and down the line, hovering over their little soldiers. Try as I might to figure it out, it wasn't apparent to me what criteria the teachers were using to d- dismiss children. Nearly all of them were standing nicely, with hands by their sides, but the teacher would wait, observe, and then tap a few, wrapping a hand behind a head and giving a firm push. Dismissed, go get some water. Then they would continue their stroll along the line. Before long, I understood that arbitrariness was the point and identified the exercise for what it was, a demonstration of who was in charge. Even so, I observed that the children found little ways to express themselves. One little boy was making the shape of a gun with his hand, shooting imaginary critters, feet all the while planted firmly on the yellow lines. A girl was making small flapping hand movements from the wrists, emitting tiny bird-like noises while keeping her hands by her sides. One boy had a hand down the front of his pants, fumbling around. I looked at this little group and imagined the 1.4 billion people of China these children didn't seem unhappy, but they also weren't bounding with joy, openness, and curiosity that I'd hoped life would be for my son. It seemed to me that there was just a quiet acceptance of fate, of the system, the terms of which only their teachers fully understood and controlled. It was clear that those who would grossly overstepped the bounds would be severely punished. Yet. Like little bird-like movements, a fumbling in the pants, the shooting gun, they gave me hope that perhaps these children could find a way to express a bit of individuality and push against boundaries, without drawing undue attention to themselves. Or was I grasping for something reassuring? One by one, the children were tapped to go inside for a water break. Wang Wu do you want water? Yes, teacher, I want water, said little pumpkin. Well, you don't get water, you will stand here, Master Wong said, shooting him a glance. She entered the classroom and closed the door behind her. Little Pumpkin began to cry. His wailing reached depths I'd not yet heard that week as he stood on the double yellow lines in a cold hallway. Teacher, I will sit, I will sit, he cried. Teacher, let me inside the classroom. But she was gone. What to make of a boy like Little Pumpkin? By now, he must have known there would be consequences to his actions. Yet, he was still unable to comply with the rules. In America, such a boy, unbridled, energy, passionate purple marker technique, might be labeled as suffering from attention deficit disorder, as having a creative temperament, or perhaps both. He might be called out as a leader. Someone who challenges authority, walks to the beat of his own drum, has a way of standing ahead above the crowd. But this is China. Would a child like him eventually learn to run within the bounds of the system? Would his individuality continue to make him a target for shame and ridicule? For now, at Harmony Harmony Kindergarten, the answer was clear. He would be left alone outside a closed door while his comrades sipped water from metal cups on the other side. On the last day of my visit, I found the teachers in the classroom when their students were eating outside in the hallway. I expressed thanks for their time and handed over a coach tote bag and a wallet, which I dug out from the back of my closet. Wang and Li nodded and without a word, stashed the goods in a cabinet. At Sun Ching Ling, My gifting attempt had been an utter embarrassment, but today, Coach was my friend. I left the classroom on this final day and ambled down the hallway, towing the double yellow line. I passed three classrooms and peeked inside each one to find children seated in chairs arranged in a U-shape around a teacher. When I reached the building exit, I turned around for one last glance down the long hallway toward the door of small classroom number one. Little Pumpkin stood alone, still waiting to be called. And that's the end of our third chapter. Thank you for listening. Uh, In the next installment of this podcast, we'll move into our fourth chapter, which will be titled No Exceptions to the Rule. I hope you're enjoying the book. I appreciate your patience with my pronunciations, and uh, thank you so much for your support.